Hey, it's Luke from Lion Loft, and again, happy Mother's Day. On this second episode about the golf moms in our life, we show some love to the grandmas out there. If you've purchased something from us in the past couple years, chances are John has helped produce your order. His family is originally from the Cincinnati area, and his grandmother, or affectionately called Gugu, was quite the player. At one point, she was her club champion for 17 consecutive years. We pick up the conversation with John and his dad and Gugu, where she shares her start to the game. When did you start getting into golf and what made you want to play it? And I believe you were 35 when you took up the game, correct? I was 35 before I ever swung a golf club. And the interesting thing was my husband, John, had played quite a bit. And my next-door neighbor, Libby Dunning Smithy, came over one day and said, you're going to go with your husband today. You're going to go play golf. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to babysit. Well, that's when it all started. So Dad takes me out, and the first hole was a par four. He gave me 20 strokes as par well I took 17 (laughs) so I figure I was three under on my first try (laughs) that's a good start (laughs) okay but I loved it immediately it was just something I wanted to do and it was in my blood and every pro that ever saw me or worked with me said I had a lot of potential and they wish that they could have worked with me a lot sooner because at 35, I'd missed out, you know, yeah. on a lot of, of uh, golf. But I was blessed in being in Cincinnati. There were so many good women golfers here that you wanted to aspire to be with them. And I considered it a privilege and an honor to be even considered part of the group. When did you start playing at Terrace Park? When was Well, that's where I started playing, right? uh Uh-huh. In fact, that was the only place I played. My handicap went down. I made the golf team, which was such a great honor to me. And then I, you know, also I played in the women's met even when I wasn't that good, just so I could play different courses. But as we as I made the, the team which was a member of us. There were six members, and all the clubs in Cincinnati played golf every Friday through the month of May. That was one of my favorite things to do, was to play team play. Very good golfers, and I enjoyed my handicap was low. Even though you think you're going to go up against these great golfers and get waxed, you do, you're going to learn a lot. And so that was the way that I looked at it. Well, what about your handicap? You mentioned that it was low. And if you started playing at 35, this is about 1968 would be about the time frame that you started playing golf. So how long did it take you to get your handicap low? I can't honestly tell you. I played a lot. I worked hard at the game. And as I say, every pro was impressed with me that I love the game so and wanted to play. By doing that, 
I would say that I would brought within 10 years, I was, you know, as low as I was probably going to get. And did you get down below a three? No, I, I did not. I was trending toward a three. And that's when I moved back to the longer tees because I knew that I, I could not, I didn't think I could be that competitive with as a three handicapper. So I started playing from the longer tees. I never made it to three, though. I stayed at four. Now, at some point, I do want to talk about, you know, all the club championships that you won and holding ones. Before we even get to that, I want to talk a little bit more about Terrace Park. So we played there. Was it? It was yesterday, yeah? Yeah, we, we played there yesterday, and it is a beautiful course. It's one of the most pristine courses I've ever played at. It's a private club here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, I mean, it's just we got out there at the crack of dawn and the sun's rising. It's hitting all these beautiful trees at the exact same time, creating colors that you're just not going to be able to see at any other golf course. There's a mist in the air. It's quiet. There's a river that runs alongside several holes. Can you tell us a little bit about rumor has it that when you used to go out, you occasionally you would play in your bare feet and what can you tell us about playing in your bare feet and, and what that felt like and why you enjoyed playing in your bare feet? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, I always love to go barefoot anyway. I was a barefoot girl all summer. But it felt so good. The grass was cool. And when the sprinklers were on and the grass was wet, I loved running under them and, you know, staying in that wet grass as long as I could. And uh, those are just memories that I will always have and will cherish because I think it was a privilege that I didn't ever dream as a farm girl that I would be able to do. Well, I, I can remember you uh, playing barefoot, and I wanted to try it. And it, it's one of the more enjoyable things that, that I'm able to do is play in, in the bare feet. And it's interesting that most golfers, they want spikes, and you you want the traction, and that's why they have spikes. Yet in bare feet, there's nothing. And so what do you attribute? Is it balance that enables you to play in bare feet without any cleats, without any spikes? Yes, I would think that it is. I've often read that Sam Sneed grew up playing. In fact, Sam couldn't afford golf shoes, so he played barefooted. So I figured, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So no, not really. But no, it was just, oh, as I say, feeling the, the wet grass and the coolness of it and so forth. And also, I just didn't like the cumbersomeness of shoes. So there's a rumor uh, out at Terrace Park Country Club that Mrs. Hodges used to like to smell divots. So what can you tell us about if you made a oh, divot and you would smell I it? I would always. I mean, that was something. I, the dirt smelled so good. I, I can't describe it. But it was just, it was fresh, and it just had an aroma to it that I just, I could not resist. Every time there was a divot, I had to smell the dirt. Do you like beets? Yes. That would help explain if the beets are very earthy and you like <laughs> yeah, that earth okay. smell, so I'm not surprised at that. 
So I know that you and Papa Buzz, you guys took a lot of golf vacations, though. What were some of the places that you... Well, we went to the Greenbrier. That was one of my favorite places to go. What was, to me, I guess, made such an impression was that you're going through to get there. You're driving through such poverty the, you know, it's just, you know that the, the people there, you wonder how they even feed their families. And then suddenly, here appears this magnificent clubhouse. And you think, my gosh, the change in the atmosphere. It was indescribable and unbelievable that such poverty was next door to such opulence. So I'll, I'll never forget the impression that made on me. Let's see, we played a lot in, in uh, Florida when we would go there in January. The grass was so different from what we were used to. They had Green. Bermuda grass was so different from the bent grass. On bent grass, you hit down and take a divot. Well, on the Bermuda grass, it's so hard to hit through those roots. So it was it was just a different game for me to play on Bermuda grass. But I, I loved it no matter where I was playing. What did you think about courses that were more hard pan than soft where you just couldn't take a divot? I didn't care for them because I didn't have that kind of shot not playing that many of them, you didn't get the chance to learn how to hit those shots because it's just you could not, you could break a wrist hitting, trying to hit down after you're used to the cushion of of soft dirt and grass. Uh, You soon learn, no, you're not going to, you can't play the same style golf. So growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, one of the courses that we have, and if you're from Raleigh, you'd Chances are you've probably played there at least once as Wildwood, and that's where I learned to play golf. And playing golf there, you can't make divots. Not to say that Wildwood is not a good course. It's a fantastic muni course, at least in my opinion. But the fairways there, southern grass, you can't dig down and make divots at all. You, you can't. I mean, you can grab some grass and some ground, but nothing compared to here. And the first time I've really ever played golf up north was here at Terrace Park. And then at that point, you could make actual divots. You could dig into the ground and actually get some earth and really just kind of hit down on the ball. But it was completely different, especially right. it was a whole different feel. And it shapes the shots differently, right? Oh, yeah. Not to say I'm the best at shaping shots. No, I, no. <laughs> I try. I try my best. But. No, well, I hear you. I don't do that that well either, honey. Do you have a certain shot in the bag that you, or a certain club that I know you you've had a lot of clubs in and out of your hands from the well, time? Well, I guess I'd have to say that the driver and my wedge were the two. Uh, the five iron was a, a favorite, also, but I loved hitting a full wedge into the green, trying to you know hit as close to the flag as I could. What was the club that you were talking about? yesterday when you said it was a really nice club and you traded it away for another club what was oh honey it was a sand wedge that (laughs) i guess i've forgiven the people i don't know (laughs) but i didn't realize that it was such a popular club and the pro did so did the better men golfers and 
they talked me in to trading it. This man wanted, he said, well, you can have my club. I can, we can trade. And like a ninny, I should have known there was something going on, but I didn't because my pro was, was uh, in on it. And I didn't think he would do this was John Steinbrunner. John. Well, now that we're naming names, John Steinbrunner, shame on you. <laughs> John, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. No, no bad blood. <laughs> what did he say? He said, "No bad blood." Yeah, I know, no bad blood. I loved John. He was a good guy. He was a good pro, a young pro. Do you remember who the man was that wanted the wedge? Oh uh, yes, Ed Lyons. Ed Lyons. Ed, shame on you. <laughs> no bad blood, Ed. It's all right. <laughs> But they took it, and, and that was the end of that. And why he didn't go ahead and get his own, I don't know, you know. <laughs> but that was one, and he knew I had it, so they worked it to get it. Keeping the conversation going about specific clubs, one of the, not one of the, probably my favorite club in the bag I have right now is the R91. The R91, I found it. I don't know whose whose bag was it in. Was it in? It was in my bag, and I got it from. Yeah, and then I think I took it out of your bag, and I just started tooling around with it. And it's it's not a wooden club. It's a steel shaft, but it has a little wooden. It it's got some wood at the bottom between the actual club face and the shaft, but it's a really old club. It's a PGA club, and it is my absolute favorite club in the bag to use. You can work miracles with the R91. Now, at the same time, the R91 can also leave you in a lot of trouble if you don't hit it right because it's a very top-heavy, or it's very heavy on the club face. It's, mm-hmm. it's a sand wedge, but I don't, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever played it in the sand before. I like using it more for flop shot type uh-huh. stuff. So, keeping in mind clubs like the R91, do you have anything else in mind that kind of pops? Very specific clubs that you can physically remember or mentally remember and say. This is something I like to use. This was a special Well, club. I think I always favored the nine iron, even to the wedge. And um, the shorter irons, definitely, I liked better. Uh, when I first started out, my clubs, I had a three. They were Betty Jamison clubs, and there was a three iron. And I learned to play with that. But then when I got into clubs with higher lofts I got away from that three iron and I never did use one again and didn't learn and I've and I've regretted that I didn't you know keep up with the three iron anyway that was just one of the things that happened along the way <laughs> so. <laughs> so a little storytelling moment last time we were here which was about two years ago because of the Rhone because of COVID we haven't been here little backstory, my family and I usually take a trip to Cincinnati to visit Goo Goo um, at, at least once a year. Usually come up when all of us are out of school in the summer and we'll stay for a week. Um, and so it's been two years since we've actually been here. And last time we were here, we were cleaning out the kitchen, just going through the cupboards and kind of organizing and helping out. I honestly think we pulled out more trophies of the <laughs> kitchen cupboards than we did actual dishes. I mean, we had a whole pile of just glass trophies of club championship and this and that and golf course. I mean, all sorts of things, runner up or just all sorts of stuff. And dad, you can help me out a little bit with this as the Gugu's track record. How many years in a row was it? She was Terrace Park club champion. 17. 17. Okay. That, that's in a row. 
keep in mind that there were uh, victories before and after that streak of 17. So certainly probably in the 20s, the amount of club championships uh, that she had at Terrace Park Country Club. If you go into the grill room, uh, you'll see a, a plate that lists all the past championships and the plate is pretty much dominated with the name Margaret Hodges year after year after year. So what do you attribute your success in club championships in, in your tournaments? Do you attribute that to concentration or just your skill? Your, what enabled you to well, win so many times year after year? The always gave me credit for having more skill than I thought I had. I just never believed it, but I guess with the trophies, it proves that there was a little skill there. I practiced a lot and, of course, playing a lot. I believe in practice. I know it's good, but I also think you've got to play almost as much as you practice. Of course. In order to get the variety of shots, because you can stand on a range and hit balls one-legged or do whatever you want to forever, but when you get on the course and you actually playing you have different lies a lot of the times you need to play as a form yes. of practice yes. and I think a lot of people miss out on that that they they think okay I'm going to practice and it is it's the same shot and it's very repetitive and yet you make such a good point that if you the only way to truly practice is to play so many times I know I go out and I play and I'm trying to score and to sit back and think, wait a minute, don't worry about scoring this exactly. round. Exactly. This is a practice round to learn things under those playing conditions. Exactly. And I think that's very interesting and probably 90 plus percent of the people who play golf don't approach it that mm -hmm. way. And that's a big mistake. Very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your competitiveness? Well... I enjoyed competition, but I never really had the cutthroat that my husband John had. I mean, he really wanted to beat somebody. That was not my mentality. I wanted to play well. I wanted them to play well. And, of course, I wanted to win, but I didn't want to, you know, what is the glory if you're winning against someone who doesn't have the skill or who isn't playing well that day? So my competitiveness was more of a pleasant competition, I think, than never cutthroat. I could never have been a cutthroat golfer. So you really were more interested in competing against yourself right. in the game exactly. to score better. Exactly. And every time you went out, you tried to beat par because there's not that How many people shoot par every time they go out to play? I can't remember the statistic, but it is unbelievably low, mm -hmm. the amount of people that, that do beat par versus the total amount of golfers, it, mm -hmm. it's extremely low. Right. So you mentioned competitiveness in your husband. So would you be competitive with him? No, I didn't like his attitude. Uh, I didn't like to watch him compete. I would caddy for him. And yet there were just times I wanted to take the clubs away from him. He was just too much. There was just too much 
competitiveness in him, and he would admit that he really hated to lose. But I beat him most of the time we played. Did he compete against you? Do you think he felt he wanted to compete against you oh, when I you played? Oh, I think he would have loved to have beaten me, but it just didn't happen. Did he ever get upset with you if you played from the women's tees? Well, he wanted me to, to move up to the men's tees because he, you know, I could beat him so badly from the women's tees. And it was good for me to move up and play longer tees. So that part of his competition, I think, did improve my game probably. Interesting. I feel like there's a specific story that me and you are both thinking of right here about the, the blues and the, the whites argument. Well, I don't know if you remember this, Mom, but um, you and Dad had come down to visit, and we drove down towards Pinehurst, and we played a course called The Pit. Yeah, I remember. So we were waiting in line to tee off, and one of the gals in the group before us teed off from the white tees and so she stood up and she belted one uh, hit it very well right down the middle of the fairway I remember i was impressed with her. it was a good swing so they cleared and it came time for us to tee off do you remember that story or what dad had asked you at that point if i was going to play this <laughs> The blue tees. So if you were going to play from the whites, <laughs> just as the girl in front of you had. <laughs> now, do you remember your response to him? I'm sure it was a smart aleck one. <laughs> it was, are you going to play the blues? Yes. And what did he say? I can't remember. He said no. And you looked at him and said, well, then why should I play from the whites? That's right. I remember now. But he, that was the way... That, unfortunately, Dad looked at things. To him, that would have been fair. He didn't associate fairness the same way that I did. I mean, his idea was win regardless. Now, I don't know if you remember the rest of the story, but do you remember where you teed off from that first hole? You teed off from the whites, and you hit one straight down the fairway farther than the gal that had teed off in front of you from the whites. And I remember I said I knew I could outdrive her. <laughs> and you did. As you stormed back to the cart, I knew I could outdrive her. <laughs> but I will say the rest of the round, you went up and played the Reds, and he said nothing. Mm -hmm. But you actually teed off from the whites that first hole and drove it farther than somebody much younger than you drove it well i appreciate that gugu how many hole in ones have you had seven but i think somewhere along the line someone said nine but i think it was seven okay you've just lost track there's so many i had three in one year at three different states one in of course terrace park one in kentucky what hole on terrace park number six they took the hole out. That's where I had, you know, so many of them. So they, they no longer have it. It's part of the driving range. One was in Wisconsin Dells, of course, Wisconsin. And um, Kentucky. I was in a tournament in Kentucky, the Marion Miley, and I had a hole in one. 
So I, I'd like to ask you this question. You've played golf for a number of years. You've had seven hole-in-ones at least, of which the majority of people have never had one in their lives, much less seven. With those hole-in-ones, what's the feeling like? And the second part of that question is, would you rather have a hole-in-one or a double eagle? I think I'd rather have the double eagle because actually, I can honestly say, the hole-in-one wasn't the thrill that I thought it would be. And I remember when Dad had his, he wasn't excited. I was a lot more excited about his hole-in-one than he was. You know, I also can understand there's just something you think, oh, my gosh, I'd love to have a hole-in-one. Well, he didn't want to pay the drink bill for the entire club. <laughs> That's true. But, no, chip-ins were much more exciting for me than the holes in one because you're trying to chip it in. You really want to. But very seldom when you're on a par three are you thinking, I want to have a hole in one, or at least I didn't. But the chip ends, yes, I, I wanted to do that, and I looked forward to doing that. So I remember a story one time where you had chipped in from off the green, uh, and there was a, a baseball player, I believe, that had actually witnessed that chip end. Can you tell us a little bit about that oh, story? Honey, was that Johnny Bench? Yes. Well, for those for those who don't know, Johnny Bench is a he was a catcher for the Reds. I mean, you could talk, talk a little more well, about that. Well, for the Cincinnati Reds and Hall of Fame for sure, and, and certainly in my opinion, the best catcher to have ever played the game. And I just remember that you were playing and you had chipped in. I believe it was at Hyde Park. Yes. And you chipped in as you're walking off. Well, he was standing on either the driving range or another ready to tee off on another hole. And he stood there and clapped his hands for me and tipped his hat. Well, I don't know. Johnny was a very personable fellow, and he played a lot of the courses around. He played in a lot of the Cincinnati tournaments that we played in, and he was always very, very pleasant. We were, I have forgotten where we were. Hyde Park, I believe. Well, anyway, either that or Makatiwa. And he walked over. How'd your team do? <laughs> oh, I'll never forget it. And my son, John, has never forgotten it. And he'll just be walking through the house. How'd your team do? So we've gotten a lot of mileage out of that comment. And I believe he also... Um, you played with his uh, one of his wives at one point, and he was kind enough to sign a birthday card yes. for your husband's mother. Uh, mother, right? Yes, yes, yes. He one of his wives, and right now I'm sorry to say I can't recall her name. Very sweet girl and a good golfer, and she played on one of the the teams. I guess it was Hyde Park's uh, golf team. So you got to see a lot of her. She was a, a very sweet gal, very down to earth. I want to get back to the hole-in-one versus double eagle question. Have you ever had a double eagle? I did on 014, which is now what, number three? Correct. This is a Terrace Park. Yes, the Terrace Park Country Club, yeah. It was a par five at that time i think the women played it as a par five and the men played it as a par four 
as so far as I remember, that was the only one that I ever had. Was that a driver and an iron, or was it a driver and a three-wood, or do you remember? I don't remember. Okay. I'm sure it would have been, you know, a wood, because I don't think I could have hit a par five with a, an iron. Well, that, that's an incredible feat, and I think the point that you brought up about making a hole-in-one versus a chip-in, you never plan to make a hole-in-one. It just happens, and of course right. it's exciting, but then exactly. a chip-in. You want to make. You're trying to make them. And when you do, you feel good about it. In fact, so many times, and I don't know how many times that I've hit the flag and not gotten a hole-in-one or gone up and I've been an inch away from the hole-in-one, you know. And that was exciting also. I mean, it was accuracy and, and you're not expecting, even though you're aiming for that flag, there's no doubt about it, but you don't expect it to go in. Yeah. Now, what about eagles? Did you have many eagles? I can't you... remember. That probably means she had a lot then. She can't remember. She probably had a good amount of eagles. I want to talk about one story that you told me. I can't remember what tournament you were playing in, but you picked up the wrong ball, or you hit the wrong ball. Oh, honey, yes. I was in a, we were in the city tournament. It was at Hyde Park. And it was on the 17th hole. What was the situation in the tournament at this point? I wasn't doing all that well, I don't think. I certainly wasn't going to win. I might have been winning, at the, but I would not have won the tournament because I didn't win that many, you know, city tournaments. Anyway, we were had teed off, and I hit the shot, but I didn't realize that I had hit the wrong ball until I was putting. I had played, but, you so know. this was your second yes, shot. Okay. right. And um, I hit the green, and the gal I was playing with, Linda Ball, and uh, I had to tell her that I had to concede the hole because I had hit the wrong ball. She might not have ever known that I did, but I couldn't have lived with myself and not, you know, have told that I did it. And it seems to me that that night on a local newscast that one of the sports anchors actually pointed that out and said, and what about Margaret Hodges, who nobody knew that she hit the wrong ball, but she admitted it and called it on herself. And I believe he pointed out what sportsmanship that showed that you had and the amount of class and how proud uh, that you should be of yourself for doing that. Right. Do you remember his name? No. His name was Denny Jansen. Is that right? Okay. Yes, I think he was good friends with Johnny Bench. Yes, exactly. He came to a lot of the tournament dinners. Yeah, well, I love that story just because golf will not be the same game it is without honesty and good integrity and morals and right. you know just the actual sportsmanship of it. I think it's what... Uh, there's no other game that has it, uh, John. There's no doubt about it. You do... You do your own calling. So I'm going to ask one more question, and if you want to throw anything else in there, just go for it. I think out of everyone in the family, it's been us three that have really taken up at least an appreciation for golf and have actually learned how to play it and go out continuously to keep on playing um, and really follow the game. So if you had any advice 
to young golfers now who are just now starting to get into the game or maybe someone who is on the fence of do I want to take this seriously or not or maybe just someone who wants to go out there and have fun what advice can you give them keep it fun practice work hard at do the best you can possibly be but oh don't develop the cutthroat arrogant attitude nobody likes that nobody wants to see it and it hurts you i think more than than it does your opponent so be as pleasant as you can be and after you have finished golfing people will not remember the score but you will remember that person and their behavior you never forget that on that line i know that uh, carol johnson uh, was one of your teachers and mentors that you, you worked with throughout the years. And I can remember Carol telling a story, correct me if I'm wrong, but she said that she would never marry a man or wouldn't consider a serious relationship with a man until she had played golf with exactly. him. Exactly. That was her. She constantly made that comment. You learn more about people when they play golf, was her opinion than any other time. And she had a lot of respect for the game. She was one of the best teachers, I think, that ever even taught the game. And she was just a local person. But we all admired her and looked up to her and didn't realize at the time how fortunate we were to have her expertise. So have fun, be a gentleman, or a lady. Play because, your best. But that's what people will remember. It won't be that you shot 69. No. It won't be that you shot 89. No. It will be the way that you treated the game and other people. And behaved yourself. Absolutely. Your decorum on the course is going to always follow you no matter what. What a great piece of advice. Yeah. Gugu, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking and having the conversation. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy listening. Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity, and I'm so proud of you for doing this. I'm proud of you anyway, no matter what. Even if you weren't as good-looking as you are, I would oh, still love oh, you. No, no, yes. <laughs> so anyway, He thank comes you. by it honestly. No doubt about it. It's in our genes, right? Oh, of course it's in our genes. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. And I'll probably edit an outro into this later. So. No, no, that was awesome. Mom, I got a couple things out of that. Thank you, Gugu. You. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing about Margaret's connection to golf. Again, happy Mother's Day. Keep on spreading the good feeling that golf is home.